Introduction to Public Speaking, Chapter 1 Objectives Articulate at least three reasons why public speaking skills are important. Describe the difference between linear and the transactional model of communication. List, define, and give an example of each of the components of communication. Differentiate between the major types of speeches. Identify the 11 core public speaking competencies. Apply chapter concepts in final questions and activities. Introduction. Humans' ability to communicate using formalized systems of language sets us apart from other living creatures on the earth. Whether these language conventions make us superior to other creatures is debatable, but there is no question that overall, the most successful and most powerful people over the centuries have mastered the ability to communicate effectively. In fact, the skill of speaking is so important that it has been formally taught for thousands of years. See Chapter 2, Origin of Public Speaking by DeCarroll. The ironic feature of public speaking is that we recognize that it is an important skill to have. Many of us do not like or want to give speeches. You may be reading this book because it was assigned to you in a class, or you may be reading it because you have to give a speech in your personal or professional life. If you're reading this book because you like public speaking or you have a burning desire to learn more about it, you're in the minority. The good news about public speaking is that although it may not be on the top of the list of favorite activities, anyone can learn to give an effective presentation. You don't have to look like a Hollywood star and you don't have to say fancy words to be a successful speaker. What is important is that the audience understands you and remembers what you have to say. By learning and using the techniques provided in this book, you will discover how to create engaging speeches and present them using your own delivery style. The purpose of this chapter is to familiarize readers with the basic concepts of communication and public speaking. This chapter begins with a description of the personal, professional, and public benefits of learning more about public speaking. Then, the transactional model of communication is introduced along with the fundamental components of the communication process. Next, readers will learn about the different types of speeches and the occasions for which they would be presented. The chapter ends with an overview of 11 primary public speaking competencies. Benefits of Public Speaking According to the Association of American Colleges and Universities, there are a core set of skills that are necessary both for a globally engaging democracy and for a dynamic innovation-fueled economy, Rhodes 2010, page 10. In the category of intellectual and practical skills, public speaking is listed as one of these core skills. This is not particularly surprising given that communication skills are critical for intellectual development, career trajectory, and civic engagement. Public speaking is universally applicable to all types of majors and occupations as is seen by U.S. employers as a critical employability skill for job seekers. Rockler, Gladden, 2009, and U.S. Department of Labor, 2000. No matter what your ambitions and interests are, developing speaking skills will benefit your personal, professional, and public life. Personal. 
People just don't give presentations on the job and in classes. At times, we are called upon to give speeches in our personal lives, and it may be for a special event, such as a toast or at a wedding. We may be asked to give a eulogy at a funeral for a friend of a, or loved one. As part of volunteer work, one may have to introduce a guest speaker at an event or present or accept an award for service. Chapter 17, Special Occasion Speaking by Scholl will help you prepare for these brief but important speeches. Develop the skill to give these types of speeches can help us to fulfill essential roles in our family and community. Another great personal benefit of public speaking is that it builds self-confidence. It's no surprise that speaking in public is scary, but by engaging in the activity, you will build self-confidence through the experience. Chapter 11, Speaking with Confidence by Graspy in this book, will give you advice on how to minimize speech apprehension and the advice can be used in many other social situations as well. Professional. TV announcers, teachers, lawyers, and entertainers must be able to speak well, but most other professions require or at the very least can benefit from the skills found in public speaking. It's believed 70% of jobs today involve some form of public speaking, ERAS 2012. With the recent economic sh shift from manufacturing to service careers, the ability to communicate with others has become crucial. Top CEOs advise that great leaders must be able to communicate ideas effectively. They must be able to persuade, build support, negotiate, and speak effectively in public. Farrell, 2011. The chapters on informative and persuasive speaking can help readers understand how to write presentations that enhance their leadership skills. But before you even start a career, you have to get a job. Effective speaking skills can make you more attractive to employers, enhance your chances of securing employment, and later advancing within your career. Employers, career counselors, and the National Association of Colleges and Employers, NACE, are all a good list, all list good communication skills at the top of list of qualities sought in potential employees. According to the NACE's executive director, Marilyn Mackey's, the Job Outlook 2013 re report found that employers are looking for people who can communicate effectively. Cons and Allen, 2012. Monster.com advises, articulating thoughts clearly and concisely will make a difference in both the job interview and subsequent job performance. McKay, 2005. Public. Learning about public speaking will allow you to participate in democracy at its most basic level. Public speaking is, is important in creating and sustaining a society which includes informed, active participants. Even if you do not plan to run for office, learning about public speaking helps you listen more carefully and to critically evaluate other speeches. In fact, the listening effectively and the critical thinking and reasoning chapters of this book by Godel and Russ will help you develop those skills. Listening and critical thinking allow you to understand public dilemmas, 
form an opinion about them and participate in resolving them. The progress of the, of the past century involving segregation, women's rights, and environmental protection are the result of people advancing new ideas and speaking out to others to persuade them to adopt changes. In this first section of chapter one, we have reached our first chapter objective to articulate the three reasons why public speaking skills are important. Hi class, this is Dr. T here, and this is a scheduled break time in your chapter material. Take a break if your attention is fading. Breaks could be as simple as stretching, sending a text to your mother, or grabbing that espresso that's calling you. Since we're in the middle of a chapter, I encourage you to come back within 10 minutes and I'll jump right back in where we left off. If break time is completely unnecessary for you, continue listening. If you took a break, welcome back. Let's jump back in our material. Models of communication. It should be clear by now that public speaking happens all around us in many segments of our lives. However, to truly understand what is happening within these presentations, we need to take a step back and look at some of the key components of the communication process. Linear model of communication. The first theoretical model of communication was proposed in 1949 by Shannon and Weaver for Bell Laboratories, Shannon and Weaver, 1949. This three-part model was intended to capture the radio and television transmission process. However, it was later adapted to human communication and is now known as the linear model of communication. The first part of the model is the sender, and this is the person who is speaking. The second part of the model is the channel, which is the apparatus for carrying messages, i.e. the phone or TV. The third part of the model is the receiver, and this is the person who picks up the message. In this model, communication is seen as a one-way process of transmitting a message from one person to another. This model can be found in Figure 1.1. If you think about situations when you communicate with another person, face-to-face -face, or when you give a speech, you probably realize that this model is inadequate. Communication is much more complicated than firing off a message to others. Transactional model of communication. Models of communication have evolved significantly since Shannon and Weaver first proposed their well-known conceptual model over 60 years ago. One of the most useful models for understanding public speaking is Barlin's 2008 Transactional Model of Communication. In the transactional model, communication is seen as an ongoing circular process. We are constantly affecting and are affected by those we communicate with. The transactional model has a number of interdependent processes and components, including the encoding and decoding processes and the communicator, the message, the channel, and noise. Although not directly addressed in Barlin's 2008 original transactional model, participants, worldviews, and the context also play an important role in the communication process. See Figure 1.2 on the next page for an illustration. Elements of the communication process, encoding and decoding. 
Encoding refers to the process of taking an idea or mental image, associating that image with words, and then speaking those words in order to convey a message. So, if you wanted to explain to your aunt the directions to your new apartment, you would picture in your mind the landscape, streets, and buildings, and then you would select the best words that describe the route so your aunt could find you. Decoding Decoding is the reverse process of listening to words, thinking about them, and then turning those words into mental images. If your aunt were to try to find her way to your apartment, she would listen to your words, associate these words with streets and landmarks that she knows, and then she would form a mental map of the way to get to you. Ramsey's Using Language Well in Chapter 10 provides additional insight to the encoding and decoding process. Communicator. The term communicator refers to all of the people in the interaction or speech setting. It is used instead of sender and receiver because when we are communicating with other people, we are not only sending a message, we are receiving messages from others simultaneously. When we speak, we observe others' nonverbal behavior to see if they understand us and we gauge their emotional state. The information we gain from these observations is known as feedback. Over the telephone, we listen to paralinguistic cues such as pitch, tone, volume, and fillers, i.e., um, ah, uh, er, like, and so on. This means that communication is not a one-way process. Even in a public speaking situation, we watch and listen to audience members' responses. If audience members are interested, agree, and understand us, they may lean forward in their seats, nod their heads, have positive or neutral facial expressions, and provide favorable vocal cues such as laughter. That's right, uh-huh, or amen. If audience members are bored, disagree, or are confused by our message, they may be texting or looking away from us, shake their heads, have unhappy or confused expressions on their faces, or present oppositional vocal cues like groans. I don't think so. That doesn't make sense. Or you're crazy. Thus, communication is always a transactional process, a give and take of messages. Message. The message involves those verbal and nonverbal behaviors enacted by communicators that are interpreted with meaning by others. The verbal portion of the message refers to the words that we speak, while the nonverbal portion of our tone, of our voice, and other nonverbal, non-vocal components such as personal appearance, posture, gestures, and body movements, eye behavior, the way we use space, and even the way we smell. For instance, the person who gets up to speak wearing a nice suit will be interpreted more positively than a person giving that exact same speech wearing sweats and a graphic t-shirt. Or if a speaker tries to convince others to donate to a charity that builds wells in poor African villages using a monotone voice, she will not be as effective as a speaker who gives the same speech but speaks with a solemn to tone of voice. If there is ever a conflict between the verbal and nonverbal aspects of a message, 
people will generally believe the nonverbal portion of the message. To test this, tighten your muscles, clench your fists, at your sides, pull your eyebrows together, purse your lips, and tell someone in a harsh voice, no, I'm not angry. See if they believe your words or your nonverbal behavior. The message can also be intentionally or unintentional. When the message is intentional, this means that we have an image in our mind that we wish to communicate to an audience or a person in a conversation, and we can successfully convey the image from our minds to the other's minds with relative accuracy. As unintentional messages, message is sent when the message that we wish to convey is not the same message the other person receives. Let's say you're returning from an outing with your significant other and she or he asks, did you have a good time? You did have a good time, but you're distracted by a TV commercial. When asked, so you reply in a neutral tone, sure, I had fun. Your significant other may interpret your apathetic tone of voice and lack of eye contact to mean that you did not enjoy the evening when in fact you actually did. Thus, as communicators, we cannot always be sure that the message we wish to communicate is interpreted as we intended. Channel. The channel is very simply the means through which the message travels. In face-to-face -face communication, the channel involves all our senses. So the channel is what we see, hear, touch, smell, and perhaps what we taste. When we're communicating with someone online, the channel is the computer. When texting, the channel is the cell phone. And when watching a movie on cable, the channel is the TV. The channel can have a profound impact on the way a message is interpreted. Listening to a recording of a speaker does not have the same psychological impact as listening to the same speech in person or watching that person on television. One famous example of this is the 1960 televised presidential debate between John F. Kennedy and Richard Nixon. According to History.com 2012, on camera, Nixon looked away from the camera at the reporters asking him questions. He was sweating and pale. He had facial hair stubble and he wore a gray suit that faded into the set background. Chicago Mayor Richard J. Daley reportedly said of Nixon, my God, they've embalmed him before he even died. History.com 2012. Kennedy, on the, on the other hand, looked at the camera, was tanned, wore a dark suit that made him stand out from the background and appeared to be calm after spending the entire weekend with aides practicing in a hotel room. Most of those who listened to the radio broadcast of the debate felt that it was a tie or that Nixon had won, while 70% of those watching the television televised debate felt that Kennedy was the winner. Noise. The next aspect of the model of communication is noise. Noise refers to anything that interferes with the message transmission or reception, i.e. getting the image from your head into others' heads. There are several different types of noise. 
The first type of noise is physiological noise, and this refers to bodily processes and states that interfere with a message. For instance, if a speaker has a headache or the flu, or if audience members are hot or they're hungry, these conditions may interfere with message accuracy. The second type of noise is psychological noise. Psychological noise refers to the mental states or emotional states that impede message transmission or reception. For example, if someone has just broken up with a significant other, or if they're worried about their grandmother who is in the hospital, or if they're thinking about their shopping list, this may interfere with communication processes as well. The third type of noise is actual physical noise, and this would be simply the actual levels, the sound level in a room. Loud music playing at a party, number of voices talking excitedly, a lawnmower right outside the window, or anything that is overly loud will interfere with communication. The last type of noise is cultural noise. Cultural noise refers to the message interference that results from differences in people's worldviews. Worldview is discussed in more detail below, but suffice it to say that the greater difference in worldview, the more difficult it is to understand one another and communicate effectively. Hi class, if you didn't take a break from the last break or if you just need a second break, this is an opportunity or a stopping point before we jump into the next section of our chapter. lot of thought to the communication process. In the majority of our interactions with others, we are operating on automatic pilot. Although the encoding and decoding process may appear to be fairly straightforward, it is actually more complicated than it seems. The reason for this is because we all have different worldviews. Worldview is the overall framework through which an individual sees, thinks about and interprets the world and interacts with it. There are five core components to our worldview. Epistemology is the way that we acquire knowledge and or what counts as knowledge. Think about the process of conducting research. 30 years ago, to find a series of facts, one had to use a card catalog and scour the library stacks for books. Now, researchers can access thousands of pages of information via their computer from the comfort of their own home. Epistemology is linked to public speaking because it governs audience members' preferred learning styles and who or what they consider to be credible sources. Ontology refers to the belief system, how we see the nature of reality or what we see as true or false. We may or may not believe in aliens from outer space, that butter is bad for you, that the Steelers will win the Super Bowl, or that humans will be extinct in 200 years. Speech writers should be careful not to presume that audience members share the same beliefs. If a speaker claims that illness can be aided with prayer, but several people in the audience are atheist, at best, the speaker has lost credibility, and at worst, these audience members could be offended. 
Axiology refers to our value system or what we see as right or wrong, good or bad, fair or unfair. One of the ways you can learn to tell what people value is to ask them what their goals are or ask them what qualities they look for in a life partner. Our values represents the things that we hope for. They do not represent reality. Values can have an impact on multiple levels of the level of public speaking process, but in particular, values impact speaker credibility and effectiveness in persuasion. For instance, some cultures value modest dress in women. So a female speaker wearing a sleeveless blouse while speaking could cause her to lose credibility with some audience members. Or if audience members value the freedom to bear arms over the benefits of government regulation, a speaker will have a difficult time convincing these audience members to vote for stricter gun control legislation. Cosmology signifies the way that we see our relationship to the universe and to other people. Cosmology dictates our view of power, relationships, and may involve or our religious or spiritual beliefs. Controversial topics like universal health care and the death penalty are often related to this aspect of worldview as we must consider our responsibilities to other human beings and our power to influence them. Interestingly, cosmology would also play a role in such logistical points as who is allowed to speak, the order of speakers on a schedule, e.g. from most to least important, the amount of time a speaker has to speak, the seating arrangement uh, on the day, and who gets the front seats in the audience. Praxeology denotes our preferred method of completing everyday tasks or our approach to solving problems. Some speechwriters may begin working on their outlines as soon as they know they will, be, they will need to give a speech while others may wait until a few days before their speech to begin preparing. And we do not recommend this approach. Praxeology may also have an impact on a speaker's preference of delivery style, methods of arranging main points, and choice of slideware, PowerPoint versus Prezi. It's important to understand worldview because it has a profound impact on the encoding and decoding process and consequently on our ability to be understood by others. Try this simple experiment. Ask two or three people to silently imagine a dog while you imagine a dog at the same time. Dog is a very concrete word, a word that describes a tangible object that can be perceived through the senses. And it is one of the first words children in the United States learn in school. Wait a few seconds and then ask each person what type of dog they were thinking of. Was it a Chihuahua, a Greyhound, Golden Retriever, Rottweiler, or some other dog? Most likely, you each person you asked had a different image in his or her mind than you had in yours. This is our worldview at work. To further illustrate, you may tell a coworker. I can't wait to go home this weekend. We are having lasagna. Seems like a fairly clear-cut statement, doesn't it?
Unfortunately, it is not. While lasagna is also a concrete word, our worldviews cause us to interpret each word in the statement differently. Whereas home, who is making the meal? What ingredients will be used in lasagna? Is this dish eaten as a regular meal or for a special occasion? Will there be leftovers? Are friends invited? Since everyone who has eaten lasagna has had a different experience of the cuisine, we all acquire a different image in our mind when we hear the statement, we are having lasagna. Complicating matters is it, the fact that the more abstract the word becomes, the more room there is for interpretation. Abstract words, words that refer to ideas or concepts that are removed from material reality, like peace, love, immoral, justice, freedom, success, and honor, can have a number of different meanings, each of which is predicated on one's worldview. Communicators have their own unique worldview that shape both the encoding and decoding processes, which means that we can never be completely understood by another person. People from the Midwest may call carbonated beverages pop, while those in the East Coast may say soda, and those in Georgia may say Coke. Even when simple terms are used like oak tree or fire hydrant, each listener will form a different mental image when decoding a message. Never take communication for granted and never assume your listener will understand you. It takes hard work to make yourself understood by an audience. Context. The last element of the communication process is the context in which the speaker or interaction takes place. In the 1980s, context was taught as the actual physical setting where communication occurred, such as in a place of worship, an apartment, a workplace, a noisy restaurant, or a grocery store. People communicate differently in each one of these places as there are unwritten rules of communication called norms that govern these settings. More recently, the concept of context has evolved and expanded to include the type of relationship we have with others, the, communication, the communicative rules that govern those relationships. Since you do not speak in the same way to your best friend as you do to a small child, your parent, your boss, your doctor, or a police officer. And you may speak to your best friend differently in your apartment than you do in your parents' home, and your communication may also be changed when you are both out with friends on the weekend. In sum, the context refers to the norms that govern communication in different situations and relationships. Hi class, we have one more long stretch of reading material. By now you know that if you need to take a few minutes to refresh your attention, these are the times to do it. And now it is time to finish off this chapter. Let's dive in. Types of speeches and speaking occasions. There are three general purposes for speaking in public. The general purpose of a speech is usually determined by the occasion in which the speech will be presented. The first general purpose is to inform your audience. In an informative speech, the presenter will share information about a particular person, place, object, process, concept, or issue by defining, describing, or explaining. 
Occasions for which an informative speech would be presented include a report presented to coworkers, a teacher presenting information to his or her class, and a training session for a job. The second purpose for public speaking is to persuade. In a persuasive speech, the presenter will attempt to reinforce or change their audience's beliefs, attitudes, feelings, or values. Several occasions where persuasion is used includes a sales pitch to potential customers, a politician's campaign speech, or a debate during a public forum. The last general purpose is to commemorate or entertain. These types of speeches often strengthen the bonds between audience members from recalling a shared experience or intend to amuse audiences through humor, stories, or illustrations. Examples of this purpose include a toast, such as a best man speech at a wedding reception, a eulogy to praise the dead, a commencement speech at a graduation, or presenting an award. It is important to note that these general purposes may overlap one another. One might wish to use some forms of entertainment while informing or persuading his or her audience. Speaking competencies. We assume when you're reading this book or chapter because you wish to improve your speaking skills, a worthy goal. As Anne Rand alludes to in her quote, a desire to succeed is the first step in achieving this objective. Nevertheless, you cannot hit a target unless you know what it is. Thus, the final portion of this chapter is devoted to an overview of 11 speaking competencies which we consider to be the standards for evaluating a variety of presentations at every level of mastery. They are based on the Public Speaking Competence Rubric, PSCR, Scriber, Paul, and Shibley, 2012. A complete copy of the rubric can be found at our website, publicspeakingproject.org. One, useful topic. The first speaking competency is to select a topic that's appropriate to the audience and the occasion. An advanced speaker selects a worthy topic that engages the audience. His topic also presents the audience with new information that they did not know before the speech. A beginning speaker selects a topic that lacks originality or is out of date. His topic provides no new information to the audience. An ineffective speaker may give a speech in which a single topic cannot be deduced by the audience. Two, engaging introduction. To formulate an introduction that orients the audience to the topic and the speaker is a second speaking competency. An advanced speaker writes an introduction that contains an excellent attention getter. She firmly establishes her credibility, she provides a sound orientation to the topic, states her thesis clearly, and previews her points in a cogent and memorable way. For the beginning speaker, her attention getter is mundane and she somewhat develops her credibility. Her thesis is awkwardly composed and she provides little direction for the audience. The ineffective speaker has no opening technique, no credibility statement, and provides no background on the topic. In addition, she has no thesis statement and no preview of her points. Clear organization is number three. Competency three, 
is to use an effective organizational pattern. An advanced speaker is very well organized and delivers a speech with clear main points. His points are mutually exclusive and directly related to the thesis. Further, he employs effective transitions and signposts to help the speech flow well. The beginning speaker has main points that are somewhat optimized, but the contents of these points may overlap. Transitions may also be present in his speech, but they are not particularly effective. In the ineffective speaker's speech, there is no clear organizational pattern. There are no transitions, and it sounds as if the information is randomly presented. Four, well-supported ideas. Fourth on the speaking list of competencies is to locate, synthesize, and employ compelling supporting materials. In the advanced speaker's speech, her points, her key points, are well-supported with a variety of credible materials, and her sources provide excellent support for her thesis. In addition, all of her sources are clearly cited. A beginning speaker has points that are generally supported with a fair mix of materials. Only some of her evidence supports her thesis, and her source citations need to be clarified. An ineffective speaker gives a speech with no supporting materials or no source citations. Five, closure in conclusion. The fifth speaking competency is to develop a conclusion that reinforces the thesis and provides psychological closure. The advanced speaker provides a clear and memorable summary of his points and he refers back to the thesis or big picture. His speech also ends with a strong clincher or call to action. A beginning speaker provides some summary of his points, but there are no clear reference back to his thesis. The closing technique of the speech can also be strengthened. In an ineffective speaker's speech, there is no conclusion. His speech ends abruptly and without closure. Six, clear and vivid language. To demonstrate a careful choice of words is, is the sixth speaking competency. An advanced speaker's language is exceptionally clear, imaginative, and vivid. Her language is also completely free from bias, grammatical errors, and inappropriate usage. The beginning speaker selects language that is inadequate to make her point. She has some errors in grammar and occasionally uses slang, jargon, or awkward sentence structure. The ineffective speaker has many errors in her grammar and syntax. She also mispronounces words and extensively uses slang, jargon, and or sexist or racist terms. Suitable vocal expression. Competency number seven is to effectively use vocal expressions and paralanguage to engage the audience. Excellent use of vocal variation, intensity, and pacing are characteristics of the advanced speaker. His vocal expression is also natural and enthusiastic, and he avoids fillers. Some vocal variation is evident in the beginning speaker's speech. He also enunciates clearly, speaks audibly, and generally avoids fillers, e.g. um, uh, like, etc. An ineffective speaker is inaudible, enunciates poorly, and speaks in a monotone voice. His speech also has poor pacing, and he distracts listeners 
with fillers. Eight, corresponding nonverbals. Eighth on the list of competencies is to demonstrate nonverbal behavior that supports verbal message. An advanced speaker has posture, gestures, facial expressions, and eye contact that are natural, well-developed, and display high levels of poise and confidence. Some reliance on notes is seen with the beginning speaker, but she has adequate eye contact. She also generally avoids distracting mannerisms. The ineffective speaker usually looks down and avoids eye contact. She has nervous gestures and often nonverbal behaviors that distract from or contradict the message. Nine, adapted to the audience. The ninth, ninth speaking competency is to successfully adapt the presentation to the audience. The advanced speaker shows how information is important to audience members and his speech is tailored to their beliefs, values, and attitudes. He may also make allusions to culturally shared experiences. A beginning speaker assumes but does not articulate the importance of the topic. His presentation is minimally adapted to the audience, and some of the ideas presented in a speech are removed from the audience's frame of reference or experiences. An ineffective speaker's speech is contrary to the audience's beliefs, values, and attitudes. His message may be generic or canned, and no attempt is made to establish a common ground. 10. Adept use of visual aids. To skillfully make use of visual aids in the, is the tenth competency. Exceptional explanation and presentation of visual aids is characteristic of the advanced speaker. Her speech has visuals that powerfully provide powerful insight into the speech topic and her visuals are of high professional quality. The beginner's visual aids are generally well-developed and explained, although there may be minor errors present in the visuals. An ineffective speaker uses visual aids that distract from her speech. Her visuals may not be relevant, or her visuals may be of poor professional quality. 11. Convincing Persuasion The 11th and final speaking competency is to construct an effectual persuasive message with credible evidence and sound reasoning. An advanced speaker articulates the problem and solution in a clear, compelling manner. He supports his claims with powerful and credible evidence while completely avoiding reasonable fallacies, reasoning fallacies. His speech also contains a memorable call to action. In the beginner speaker's speech, the problem and solution are evident, and most claims are supported with evidence. He also has generally sound reasoning and a recognizable call to action. For the ineffective speaker, the problem and or solution are not defined. His claims are not supported with evidence. His speech contains poor reasoning and there is no call to action. Readers should note that the competencies listed above are not all inclusive. Ultimately, one must adjust, expand, and apply these competencies as best fits the requirements of the speaking situation. But they do provide a starting point for new or less experienced speakers to begin to understand all the interrelated components of a speech. Conclusion 
Our capacity to communicate through systems of language differentiates us from other species, but the use of that language to communicate effectively is actually harder than anticipated, particularly in front of an audience. Fortunately, by reading this book, you can learn the skills required to communicate more effectively one-on-one -on -one and in a speaking situation. The speeches you present will be given in a particular context. In your role as a communicator, you will encode and deliver a message, which will then be decoded by audience members, also communicators. At the same time you are speaking, you will be receiving verbal and nonverbal feedback from the audience. The way that the message is decoded will depend entirely on the amount of noise interfering with the message as well as the worldviews of audience members. Every new speaker should work to become skilled at the 11 core public speaking competencies. These competencies include selecting a useful topic, writing an engaging introduction, organizing the points of the speech, finding effective supporting materials for the points, adding a conclusion that provides closure using clear and vivid language, making sure that one's vocal expressions correspond to the goals of the speech, using nonverbals that complement the message, adapting the message to one's audience, using visual aids effectively, and using credible evidence and sound reasoning in persuasive messages. Each one of the competencies just listed is covered in depth in one or more of the chapters of this book. The authors of this textbook hope that readers will find the chapters useful in developing their own communication competence. Whether you are new to giving presentations or a more experienced speaker, it is important to remember that the best way to improve your public speaking skills is through preparation and practice. Although it may take time to learn effective speaking skills, the effort is well worth the benefits you will reap in your personal, professional, and public life. Congratulations! You made it to the end of Chapter 1. Now you can take a real official break. Come back for our next chapter in your reading material.